All right, welcome everyone to Connected Learning TV. This is the second of our four-part March 2016 series entitled Youth-Led Inquiry, Connection and Action, Redesigning Civic Education in the Digital Age, which was organized by members of the Educating for Participatory Politics Project and the Council of Youth Research. If you're watching this, please take a moment to share it with your networks. Uh, I'm your host, Nicole Mira. I'm an assistant professor of English education at the University of Texas at El Paso. Uh, and for the past seven years before I moved here, I was in Los Angeles helping to coordinate the group you're going to learn about today, the Council of Youth Research in Los Angeles. Today I'm talking with Ebony Kane, Antonio Martinez, Katie Range Briggs, and Lawrence Tan about how youth participatory action research can transform what it means to engage in inquiry by focusing on young people's interests in public life and their developing identities as citizens. Before we dive into our chat, just a few quick details. To those of you watching live right now, we welcome your comments and questions through either Twitter, you can use the hashtags, hashtag connected learning, hashtag digital civics, or hashtag two next prez, or the Q&A feature that you should see in your video player right now. We'll do, your best, we'll do our best to address your questions here in our Google Hangout. The webinar is also being co-streamed at the National Writing Project's EducatorInnovator.org and is part of a series of programming related to Letters to the Next President 2.0, which engages and connects young people ages 13 to 18 as they research, write, and make media to voice their opinions on issues that matter to them in the coming election. This webinar will be available as a resource on letters2president.org, where you can find many other resources and opportunities related to the election, writing, and digital literacies. So now that we got all that out of the way, let's give everyone a chance to introduce themselves. Uh, I'm going to go down the line based on the little picture boxes that I see from left to right. Uh, so can we start with Antonio? Can you just tell us uh, who you are, where you're currently coming to us from, uh, and how you first got involved in this thing called the Council of Youth Research? Hey, hi, um, everyone. Hi, Nicole. Um, so I just, I just want to say um, first, I want to say thank you uh, to Nicole uh, for bringing us together again um, over the time, but I think that you've really been the glue to kind of keep bringing us back together, and so I just want to say thanks. And on the other side, it's just great to see all these beautiful faces. It's like seeing family again, right? And I think I want to kind of start with that because that's really what this group was about for me, was a family um, with the adults and the young people um, that came together to really make this. My name is Antonio Martinez. I'm an assistant professor at UMass Amherst in the social justice education concentration. And so I first got involved with the Council of Youth Research in the summer of 2010 um, in the summer seminar. And so I was brought in um, as a graduate student uh, when I was doing my, uh, my doctoral work at the time um, to really be support um, for uh, the, some of the groups that were, were, doing, were doing the uh, YPAR work, the summer intensive, which I think we can talk about more later. Um, and then, um, and then I eventually was the site person for a group in Watts. So I was the graduate student liaison between the university and the high school, working with um, the fabulous co-teacher who's also on here today. Um, I'll let him introduce himself later, but I had the pleasure of working with him um, over the course of the uh, the time I was there as a doctoral student. Awesome. Go ahead, uh, Ebony. Hello, everyone. And I just want to echo Antonio's appreciation for both Nicole and for um, 
being part of this lovely community and, and having the opportunity to reconnect and talk about this really powerful um, experience and project and uh, phenomena I feel like that we're all a part of. So thank you, Nicole. And thank you, all of uh, the co-presenters today. Um, so I have been involved in the Council of Youth Research um, for quite some time. So I started participating in the program when I was a high school student. So there was a program <laughs> that preceded uh, the, uh, the, this program called the Summer Seminar, um, and then before that, the Futures Project. So I start, started this work as a high schooler, which is sometimes funny for my own students to, to hear me say. Um, currently, I work at the University of Southern California teaching research methodology, and I also work uh, in the master's program and in their EDD program, Organizational Leadership and Change. Um, so that is my, my background. Uh, is really focused on public policy and education, but really thinking about how this transformative experience of seeing myself as an urban youth who didn't necessarily see college as an outcome and then being part of this really powerful experience where um, it was connected to something larger than just going to college or going to get, pursue a career, but really thinking about how do I reinvest and change my community. For me, that was something that was um, a spark that kept me engaged both academically and then also helped me think about the world civically. So that is now my mission is to, to help other people think about that and, and young people as well. So thank you. Awesome. The next person I see is Katie. <clears throat> Hello. Um, can you hear me? Because I just stopped the mute button. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm a teacher at Augustus Hawkins High School, specifically the RISE School, the Responsible Indigenous Social Entrepreneurship School. I was fortunate enough to work with some phenomenal individuals to help write the school plan and create it. Um, and that came out of this concept of wanting a school that had wall-to-wall -wall student voice. And that was especially important after um, having experienced my first summer seminar and um, that being the topic, Powerful Youth Voice. So that takes us back a little while. <laughs> and um, from there, we have built a curriculum in a school and a culture that is centered around um, a inquiry process that's autoethnographic and from there the action um, with our school being a school of entrepreneurship relates a lot to economic justice and reclaiming our local economic system. And again, hi all. <laughs> I'm excited to be here with you. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. And finally, LT. Um, what's up? Uh, my name is LT, um, but my real name is Lawrence Tan. And currently I'm in Oakland, but I represent San Diego, LA to the fullest. Um, as uh, I was an um, uh, elementary school teacher for 14 years in Watts, South Central Los Angeles. Um, and during my time uh, teaching mostly fifth grade, um, I had the chance to, to work with uh, one of my mentors, Jeff Duncan Andrade, who uh, one summer told me to, uh, had, like, told me to work with uh, Ernest Morrell and John Rogers uh, in the summer seminar program. So I've been doing like summer seminar, which 
was a precursor to the Council of Youth Research uh, since early 2000. Um, and what that really did was um, gave me, um, I just thought it was very powerful to see like young folks participating in um, creating changes and, uh, and doing um, research around um, the inequities that they face on the daily. And that as an elementary teacher, I'd always take my experiences every summer and then like tweak it so that my, my fifth graders or my younger students can um, do the same thing. And I just realized that um, just because folks are young, they've often been dismissed. And having spaces like the Council of Youth Research um, was very powerful to re reclaim voice, reclaim power for the young people um, where because my classroom wasn't always the you know the end all be all so creating more spaces um, and that led me to where I'm at right now which was um, going with my mentor and creating our own school over in Oakland um, the Rosen Concrete Community School uh, where I am currently a fourth grade um, lead teacher slash administrator slash whatever um, and um, you know what we're trying to do is is kind of mimic some of the things that we've done we've done in LA to create more spaces a a, a womb to tomb kind of counter prison to school to prison pipeline uh, where we can you know give the the students a voice and 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 create changes through that and take over stuff so yeah hello thank you for coming <laughs> <laughs> awesome so th those of you watching right now might be a little bit overwhelmed and confused about what is this thing called the council of youth research that we're all talking about uh, and how it's taken us in all these different directions from Los Angeles. You see teachers, professors, community work. Uh, so the Council of Youth Research, in a nutshell, was a program that, like Ebony said, started back in the 1990s uh, by uh, Dr. John Rogers and Dr. Ernest Morell here at UCLA. And the purpose was really to get the voice of high school students injected into discussions about education, that instead of talking about young people, we can help young people raise their voices and amplify them to speak for themselves. Um, and just so you know, we're going to talk about the council over the next uh, hour and about YPAR, uh, but there's so much more to say about it. And we'll do a little plug for a book that all of us are featured in called Doing Youth Participatory Action Research that tells the story of the council and has the voices of everyone here and all of our students in it. So please look for that as well. But first, so we're here to talk about this thing called YPAR which is a confusing acronym, and the term Youth Participatory Action Research is very big, and for those that aren't familiar with it, it can sound very intimidating or even boring. So I want to start with Antonio and kind of get all of you to tell a little bit about how do you define this thing that we call YPAR uh, in a way that teachers and students and families and community members can really understand and appreciate how powerful it is. So I'm going to start with Antonio. Yeah, so you know, I didn't know it at the time I was a graduate student uh, that I was being shown how to develop a, a, an after-school program or an out-of-school program to really work with young people in ways that were meaningful. But I didn't realize at the time I was just kind of involved and I was I was doing I was doing work on the ground. Um, and since transitioning to my role out here in, in Amherst or, or Pineal Valley, um, I should say, is is a uh, I get approached, you know, at, you know, being, I get asked, you know, can I do programming for young people? And I say, well, yeah, of course. I mean, um, we, we do YPAR. And, and so I think in Los Angeles, we were fortunate that a lot of people knew about what YPAR was because of the long work, the, the, the work that had been done for such a long time by Dr. Rogers and Dr. Morell, that 
people people will kind of just talk about YPAR and, and they knew what it was. But being out here, um, where it's kind of a more of a new thing, um, I've I've had to kind of come into this right and and have to explain it to folks who hadn't heard about it before. So uh, while I I'm not going to do it complete justice, the way I, I kind of frame it to administrators and teachers is that it's working with young people. Uh, to identify some of the issues that they believe are going on in their community or their schools. And so, and then we understand what the problem is, right? So there's the research part. And then, but then we don't, I don't, th the thing is that I tell them is that we don't stop there. We work towards solutions, which is the action part. And I think that action part is what really resonates with the, with the uh, I'm sorry, with the adults, right? Especially because I think they want to see that we're not just, in a sense, agitating students, right? That they were, we're getting them, uh, we're giving them the experience to understand what's going on and then working towards solutions that they can actually um, possibly see while they're still students. And, I, and so that's kind of in a nutshell the way I explain it to um, teachers and administrators when I'm, when I'm, if they don't have the kind of theoretical background of reading the, 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 long, the long list of literature that's out there on this work. So that kind of sums up how I've been saying it lately, but uh, I'll turn it over to, to you all because I'm sure you say it in, in, in some pretty uh, insightful ways. Sure. I'm, I don't, we don't even need to go down the line. Anybody that wants to jump in, but I was looking at Ebony next, but anybody can go. <laughs> so I'll take a stab at it. Um, so part of when I think about YPAR and the way that I talk about our experience uh, with the Council of Youth Research in YPAR really challenges um, the perception of young people and their role in change-making and the change-making process. Oftentimes we talk about young people as either being absent for the process or shouldn't, or not being fully um, capable of being in, included in the process, or we see the other model where young people are just kind of tokenized and, and acting as figureheads in this process. Like, let's hear from the young person's um, perspective. And I think YPAR pushes on those notions and, and offers another way that young people can be involved. And I think in my own personal experience, my first time doing a college visit, um, was when I was part of this program as a high school student and it just so happened it was at the same time where they were having the affirmative action protest on campus. So this was part of the experience was mostly to see kind of the buildings and do the traditional college tour but because we are part of this program that really thinks about how do we um, engage students civically and think about social justice we stopped by the protest. But it wasn't enough to say, see, this is student A, and this is student B, and this is the protest. It was really thinking about, this is what it looks like to be engaged in constructing your learning environment. And as young people in education, you are the key stakeholders in this process. And as the key stakeholders and as those who are fully impacted by this, YPAR allows you to address problems that we often talk about in education as being um, you know, systemic or, and, and they will be systemic, but intractable problems become, um, you know, re-explored through this lens of providing an opportunity for the young people to respond to those. And then also another misperception of this work is that adults aren't involved. And I think that YPAR presents another perspective on that too. The adults in the process are a very important aspect. So as um, someone who wasn't, who didn't see themselves as college bound, and I probably have always said that I wanted to go to college, but didn't necessarily act in ways um, that supported that goal. 
and I see that a lot in students, but thinking about how we situate ourselves among researchers and educators and really passionate people who are in the classroom like LT and like um, Katie and working with uh, graduate students like Antonio and supported and guided through people like Nicole, creating this larger community of practice that make um, outcomes that we don't traditionally associate with the populations that we work with possible. I really appreciate you closing with that phrase community of practice because it makes me think of how um, when I discuss YPAR, I think of it, especially with parents and um, students, <clears throat> getting them prepared for the curriculum they'll experience for the four years. It's really discussing transformation and how research, the research process becomes the method of personal and, and trans personal transformation that only positively impacts the community. Um, and you're right, as we discuss a lot of the theory that students um, will triangulate in their research, I think about how um, in a more academic sense we are it's an apprenticeship. It's an apprenticeship model where it's a cognitive apprenticeship as a collective um, crossing gender, I mean gender, ethnic, and um, age barriers. We together unpack some of the more difficult things in our lives. And um, students get to witness what um, pragmatism looks like. And students get to witness and then and then be guided through the process of action. And maybe it becomes the action um, of sharing knowledge. So I know one thing that's big in my class uh, or my classes that do this is that they go home and it becomes a domino effect of information. And each one teach one, each one reach one. So that if you don't have the privilege of having this information, now a larger community gets this privilege. That's what I see is why that's what I see is what youth in action means. <clears throat> yeah, I have to um, co-sign on what everyone else has said, um, especially um, they dropped a lot of the academic pieces. Um, um, but in terms of to my youth and to the process that we've all participated in, I mean it boils down to why part being like truth seeking uh, mm -hmm. and truth telling, right? And and, mm -hmm. and having the students. And it's also that transformative piece that Katie brings up um, because you're involving the youth in their own education um, and their own um, giving them skills and tools or, or developing skills and tools together to create that change within themselves and within their communities. Uh, and so uh, that's the only piece I want to add. The, other, the only other piece I want to say about that, well, why PAR has become for a while it was like the sexy, like this is what we all want to hear about. But to be honest, like like a lot of our students that we all worked with, we hustled the system. That was a way for us to hustle the system because it legitimized what, you know, it gave legitimacy to things that, you know, students never had legitimate ways to, to learn and to, to be heard. And so in one sense, um, definitely um, as much as we want to say why par, right, but it, this was just solid education mm -hmm. uh, in the hands of the youth. And it was, for a lot of the youth, that was their vehicle 
to 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 give to give them power and voice in institutions that wouldn't accept them normally, right? And even now that that white part isn't as the the buzzword of the as as it's been in the past, like that's we need those kind of avenues um, because YPAR has been going on in, in many classrooms before YPAR was even you know an item. But the fact that we have to label it in an institute in the higher institutions to say, hey, this is what's what matters, like that's you know. So that was our end, that, you know, why part for us was a way for us to legitimize the things that we've already been doing um, and some of the youth have been doing for, for years. So that's my two cents. Thanks, everyone. And I can tell just from the way we all described YPAR that audience members, I know that you're hearing that research is the beginning, but it's so much more from all the things that you're hearing about transformation and love. Uh, so. On a very basic scale, the council had several elements to it when we were really going at full speed. We had a summer seminar component where students came from all over Los Angeles to UCLA uh, for five weeks of intensive work in a graduate level seminar. We also had during the school year, students would meet in groups every week after school. Uh, those would lead up to presentations that would be given all over Los Angeles to community groups, to, po to politicians. And we had the good fortune to, to bring students to educational conferences like AERA, the American Educational Research Association. All of that was part of the process of doing research around issues that young people care about. So within that context, I want to help the audience get a little sense of some of the powerful moments that happened within the Council of Youth Research. So I'm going to ask whoever wants to jump in first, uh, just to give people a little bit more of a sense of how powerful this community was as young people were doing research. Uh, could someone start us off and tell us about a memory you have of a time when you really knew that you were a part of something very special and that the council was a powerful community using research for change? <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll jump in. <laughs> right, I'll jump in. Um, so I just recently spoke to the group of students I joined the council with the first year and they were recollecting um, how they could not stand me during the <laughs> academic year. And then when I called their parents and told them about this great opportunity, um, one student remembered me saying that I felt like the traditional school model didn't give his intellect justice. Now that was a funny thing that he would remember because <laughs> he's like my intellect and I think that's what I remember the most. The agency that came out of stu one, studying on a college campus, two, being surrounded by adults who um, actively work in education and looking at young people saying, no, we're expecting you to be a peer. We're expecting you to work as hard as we are and be as invested in your learning process. So um, that is one of the things that we're definitely a family. And like I said, um, the council kids will often talk about me pushing them <laughs> in a loving way <laughs> to make deadlines. <clears throat> and so um, another memory I have is them reading Souls of Black Folk then turning to popular music and recognizing this is what I deserve and let me make sure I'm able to articulate that to the adults around me and that was very amazing that was amazing from to witness and then watch the adults on our campus 
have to unpack that, have to deal with that. I think um, one of the connected to kind of the, the research presentation side, um, getting students ready and students preparing to do this big presentation that really gave them an opportunity to share all of the hard work that they'd done all summer. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that um, we ended up doing is we would spend long hours and all of us, you know, <laughs> at UCLA um, in computer labs working with students, um, driving students home late, late at night, yeah. LT coming in with pizza, like we, it was all about how do we, we've done all of this hard work over the, you know, over the summer or even over the year, how do you present that? And so students would have this experience where they did all of this prep work, they had a PowerPoint, for some of them it would be the first time, and this was, you know, first time doing a, a PowerPoint in that way with the audience that, um, that we would assemble. And Nicole always made it a point to make sure that uh, stakeholders were in the community. So in addition to, um, you know, their families and uh, school representatives, there would also be these key stakeholders so that they might be politicians, they might be, um, you know, funders, things like that. And I think that I bring that up because oftentimes, we, again, when we think about youth engagement models, we think it's enough to just have somebody mm -hmm. like a governor or a senator or a statesman in the room. And through that, there's some kind of osmosis that's supposed to happen. But I think what was really powerful about our students is they never really fed into that. It wasn't about being in the room with somebody who had the capital. It was about talking about how do we change something? How do we move the current structure that exists that has the power here and then, you know, the recipients of, of the power here? So really thinking about it's not enough to have you listen to us and go about your day. What are you going to do based on what we've shared with you? And I think that that moment of, of students realizing that I am a knowledge maker, I am the creator, of what should and could happen in my school phases became really, really powerful. And it was only because you had that amazing space at UCLA, in the law library, late at night, and then going to um, City Hall in this beautiful building, which I promise you I would never have been into, been in, in my whole life if it wasn't for the Council of Youth Research. And I think that's probably the, the, the same about, um, the same for a lot of our students. But creating this amazing access that wasn't enough to just say you have that access, but having students say, well, what are we going to do with this access or what can we do with this access? Yeah, and then I think also the, um, the other part around when we think about kind of this idea of engaging, civically engaging, right? Because I think you're right. We can point to these politicians and the way they had this chance to speak with um, elected officials, but I, but I think there's something more than that, right? And especially the way they kind of come into the self-actualization um, mm -hmm. through through the theoretical part that we do with them, right? So I think that what was kind of clear for me or, or the way in which I saw that was when we were starting to uh, get them to work with what Jean Annion refers to as the hidden curriculum, right? And so yes, it's yes. like kind of removing that from for them, removing the ways in which, or letting them understand the ways in which schools act as these process of socialization that they began to kind of uh, look at their, their own lives differently, right? And so I don't know, LT, if you remember this, right? But I remember when 
we had a student who was, you know, you know, taking some of these terms, right, like uh, reading Gramsci's work, right, and, and, and throwing hegemony around at their teachers. Like, you know, may, okay, maybe they're using a little bit wrong, but the point is there, right? It's like you're being hegemonic, right, to their teachers or, or they're just banking me, you know what I mean, kind of building off Paredes' work, right? Because they're, they're pulling these bigger theoretical concepts that some people try to tell me that, that's only stuff that graduate students should be doing, right? When I when I have when I've lived through the experience of being able to see young people when they are um, given the space, when they are encouraged, when they are when they, the expectation is that they can do it, engage with these really um, grand theories, right? To really start to make sense of their world, and I think that was that's where it was really powerful for me to be able to see young people do that, and in a sense, really kind of prove the prove that they can do it but then but but not just to prove somebody else but more for their own kind of coming into who they are and I think that 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 those those moments right so there's too many to kind of go into an exact one but um but that they happened over and over again which each kind of cohort each year and um, and so that was really powerful and that and I still bring that up and I still watch the videos that we've made over time so um, so that's kind of that's kind of a little bit a little snapshot of that and I would I would definitely encourage folks here um, maybe we can throw up a link somehow so they can watch our videos that we've done um, in the past, so that they can so you can get a sense of how young people were talking about um, a lot of this work. Yeah, I mean, same thing. There's just so many countless memories, and um, I think the the most powerful things that from those memories is just like what Antonio was mentioning, um, just people coming into spaces. Um, being intimidated by um, the the summer seminars, the the council work, um, and just feeling like, you know, I'm not supposed to be doing this. This is not for me. What are you doing? What are you talking about? And then coming away from it, owning it, and um, still using it even today. And just like that that not that piece that Antonio brought up. I mean, we have a lot of people who are like in education because of their experiences with um, the Council of Youth Research. Um, and but more importantly, I felt like. A lot of a lot of the people, especially the students that I work with, came in with chips on their shoulder about like these experiences they had. I mean, just seeing the communities that they had, and, and the piece that really stood stood out has been always the challenge, the pushback on on the, some of the stereotypes that have been placed on our our students, especially where where we were teaching, where I was teaching, and there were a lot of black and brown tensions, and you had primarily black and brown youth coming together and saying like we're not always the problem, we can be that solution. And um, and then just coming together at, at, with schools from across LA and forming that familial bond that was thrown out earlier on, and that are still people are still connected, highly connected to this day, and still trying to do things and figure things out. Um, I mean, that's those are the impactful moments. But I mean, you know, mi mixed in with that have been all the trials and tribulations of late deadlines, all-nighters, uh, sleepovers at UCLA, like getting kicked out by by uh, security guards and and you know all that stuff, and um, you know working all night right before presentation, people losing eyesight, and and getting you know like it's just there's just been crazy. But I guarantee that every one of those like you know those struggles were worth it. Like you ask any one of those those youth about all those moments, and they'll laugh at those moments and and all the good times. But it's it, that piece has been transformative. It's one of those things that kind of helped build foundational like leadership and and um, and, and just just awareness and critical thinking skills in, that they still use today and I think that's um, definitely um, been the memorable piece and, and the fact that you know even when you 
you put out on Facebook or even on PlayStation and everyone's like, hey, what's going on? Like, we all continue to, um, to you know, it's just like putting a bat signal out and everyone wants to come back and, and give back. And, and, and that's the pieces. That, those are the memorable pieces. So, um, But, yeah, all those crazy stories, we have tons of them. We can write our own little, like, comedy on that. But um, the work has definitely been memorable altogether for so many things and so many people. Yes, and, and LT is the one that, that gave the name to that time of crazy working all night together. We, we always called it the grind because of LT. Uh, yeah. And we would tell students as we were getting closer to a presentation that it was time to go through the grind, that it's not always uh, fun and games, and it's not always the glory of the presentation. It's about that work that we put in on the way. Uh, yeah, it's actually kind also of funny. what Ebony and Antonio... I was going to say that oh, it's funny that uh, my students, my fourth grade students are having to do their own little grind piece, and I have Miguel, former uh, Council of Youth Research uh, member, and um, he's working at our school. I said, hey, you got to come in, and you got to give them the talk about the grind now because they always hear me, so they have to hear it from you. So we're passing that on, that lingo on, and, and so he's going to mm -hmm. come and drop some knowledge on the grind. But, yeah, that, that's pretty funny. Yeah, and I appreciate, like, everybody here, we talk about the presentations and the research that the students produce, but we also talk just as much about the process uh, and another term in our book that we got from Ebony during one of our interviews is this idea of carpool pedagogy. So the idea that a lot of the most important learning, a lot of the most, um, the trust building, the relationship building, that real work where we all become a family, doesn't always happen in the educational, the explicit educational experiences. It often happens when you're driving students home at 11 o'clock at night uh, to their neighborhoods to make sure they get home safely when you're carpooling, that's where the real, the love comes from and the real, the real work happens. Uh, and I want to let people know a little bit about the kinds of issues that the young people in the council were exploring uh, and why this is a powerful form of civic education. So this whole monthly series, we're talking about civic education in the 21st century. And there's obviously many ways to do civic education. Uh, YPAR is one of them, and all of us know that it's a really powerful one. Uh, so I want to hear from you guys about why you think Number one, what are some of the issues that your young people were researching when you were guiding them? And why do you think this is a powerful way for young people to learn about what it means to be a civic actor? Why is this a powerful form of civic education? And I'm looking at Ebony because she's not muted, so now you have to go first. I have to go first? <laughs> no, no, Ebony. Okay, good, yes. <laughs> Um, I, that's a great question, um, and shame on me for not muting myself. But um, let's see. So I think one of the the larger uh, themes that come to my mind is just access to high quality education, and having students think about. And this is a broad theme that was probably broken down into smaller um, units, and students thought about it. But thinking about um, what does a quality education look like, and having students look at um, the right to an education and is there a right to education and really getting them to dive into to legal theory. So what that would look like is oftentimes, so students would arrive um, for in the summer, I will talk specifically about the summer, so students will arrive in the morning and as they arrive, they're, as they arrive they're handed a laptop and there's usually a prompt on, on the wall or on the projector and they have to sit down and have a reflective moment in which they come to terms with what does this look like for me and then how do I put this in the context of what I've been asked to read and what I've been asked to learn. 
So embedded in this is a lot of um, fun kind of cultural things that come out of the um, out of the the kind of YPAR, our approach to YPAR. So students, you know, the teachers will be like, let me see your your reader. And if a student has a reader and it's totally blanked, you know, there's no annotation in it, there's nothing, Katie will come by and say, what is this? <laughs> How are you going to respond to this prompt if you haven't thought back to the text? If you're not talking back to the text, how can you talk back to this prompt? So doing all of these things that are, are strategies that we use in, in education generally, but help them think about these really complex, um, complex topics and also um, model what a quality education should look like. Someone who's so invested in what you learn and how you experience your own education that they are going to hold you accountable for it. So that's just one thing that comes to mind. I'll, I'll jump in just because I think what what I was thinking kind of is is, is related to this, Ebony, and I'm glad you brought that up, right, because this idea of a quality education. And I think what made um, what made um, the kind of uh, issues clear around what we were doing with young people, um, mm -hmm. I think was really important um, because, because I think that the, the council itself operated from a very particular theoretical perspective. And because of that, we're very clear about how we were going to um, kind of shift the power dynamic with what we were doing um, with young people. And, and so I think that, so I just want to be, I guess I want to say that first because I think YPAR could actually be done in a way that's um, not in the best interest of students, right? And so I, so I want to kind of put that out there to say that we, we, it was grounded in a, in a critical perspective that really allowed um, everyone from the adults to the young people to really kind of challenge these notions of power. And so I think that that's what that that's the first place that I think that we were we, we were grounding ourselves. So it's not just the topics that we ended up um, researching, but it was also just even the ways that we kind of ran our our individual classes, right? So something that uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, kind of steal some thunder from LT real quick because the way that he was running some of the these these uh, meetings, right, were these. Um, very, very kind of um, traditional, or these circles, right? So everyone would get a turn, everyone would get a, a chance to talk or pass, and, and that right there, right? How often are you in, are young people in classrooms where they're one um, encouraged and, and given space just to talk, right? There's the first piece, and the other piece was checking in with them, right? How are you doing, right? How what was your highs and lows? And and so when we work with young people, you know, they they they're they're often not engaging with each other and on an intimate level with that. So I think that was the um, first piece that really struck me about why this was this this was something that moved people in a very different way from the adults to the young people because it, it, it also put me um, right there with them, right? How was my week? How was my family, right? As they answered the same kind of question. So there's the other part. And then, so, and then as far as topics, right? I, the one that comes to mind because I still show the video all the time is... Um, is the one around leadership, and so what we had we had uh, the trying to understand the effective leaderships in their community, and they really they really um, flipped it. And when we talk about leadership, uh, they really talked about well, actually, the young people that are in that room, the in the council as the council members, they're the leaders, and and oftentimes school is not developing them as leaders, right? So their whole research was around that, right? How young people can be leaders, and the importance of 
schools kind of seeing young people as leaders. So I think those are, the, I just want to kind of highlight those pieces really quick because I think the, the ways in which we were constructing the, the overall program was informed in a very specific way that spoke to how we um, understand everything from structure all the way through topic. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of Antonio since, you know, he and I work together quite well. Um, but another topic that we kind of, you know, dealt with was um, analyzing the charter school movement and just looking at different forms of education um, in, um, in, in, in the schools that we taught in, in the Watts area, there was this whole like charter school movement and uh, Locke, the school that we worked at, ended up being taken over by Green Dot and like the, the students were just, you know, were, were just had a lot of questions about what does this mean, how does this mean for our education, so that was one of the topics that they were heavily invested in and in different iterations of the different uh, groups. Um, we kept coming back to the charter school movement or looking at it, you know, uh, at when it initially started, when it three years later, and so. Um, but the, the most powerful thing about that, though, is not the the topic itself, because you know, uh, Ernest Morel would always give us a meta, like this overarching theme, and and we could like. But we the cool thing was, is that the youth had the the the, the power um, to kind of figure out what they wanted that really spoke to them, and I think that mattered the most, right? It wasn't just like here's your topic, go do it. This you know, like the traditional sense, here's your report, go research, and then do it. It was like, well, what do you want to do? What What are some issues that, that are gnawing at you? And we're like, what can, you know, what do you want to, you know, invest your time and energy and, and, and take some risks on? And like, these are the things that, you know, the students formulated. Now, of course, as adults, we would help them. We would give, oh, the, you know, we have some readings that go along that complement what you guys want to do. Um, we have some, you know, we can teach you some skills. But I think that was the most powerful piece is that, again, and I've said it before, it, like, and Antonio mentioned it, is that the educational piece was, was very intrinsic. It was them. It was all them. Um, and we, came, we were facilitators to help them with that and struggle with them um, on that. And I think things like that, and like, you know, um, especially when, you know, Locke is getting taken over and a lot of things are, changes are happening fast, like to be able to have a, a vehicle in a space and a voice to be able to kind of question that and why, what does that mean for them and, and in their lives and in their communities, I think those were the powerful pieces. Um, and um, that's why the Youth Participatory Action Research was, um, was not only powerful for them but also that transformative piece because they took, they took that, um, those, those skills and, and used it in, in, in proactive ways, right, in, in their lives and in their communities. Um, and that's, that's the difference. I think that um, I hear you all talking about the difference between what we, especially as a government econ teacher or a, a social studies teacher, we often we often talk about civic engagement, and that was that was taken for granted. The students were going to be engaged, we and they understood the uh, civics portion somewhat, but there was something more powerful about the work we did with them and that was that we gave them agency and that goes back to when Nicole said when they walked in the door they received a laptop you know in our schools we struggle with technology and every child having the right to access to that um, and then even further they were able to go through the process of self-actualization and affirmation when they're creating not just PowerPoints but this 
videography and so I go back into that with how um, that transformed the, ethnogra the ethnographic research my students did so that um, instead of saying oh I'm doing research oh this is a new theory oh this is how I'm going to present it in a PowerPoint oh I got a cool little video no instead they went through the process of what it is to be responsible agents of change through these tools and then we also as adults had to sit there and continue to remind them that they are special and their voice counts and so that's why we invest in it both with technology, with time, with space and all these other things. So then now they are leaving us and maturing in a process that gives them an understanding that their experience has intellectual capital. and. Um, this brings me to like um, a story one of the students would um, opened up with one of my last groups and they talked about a man in a hole asking for help and how somebody else jumped in the hole and told them I've been in this hole and I know how I'll show you how I got out and that's that earned insurgence our students learned how to ask their community for the right to fight alongside them and then build and that education became that um, fight. Um, education became that not just success, but like really internalized growth. And I think that what's powerful about what you're all saying is that it's this idea that civic engagement is about is about the issues, but it's more about the agency. I think that's the theme that keeps coming up in what all of you were saying, and. I know a lot of people when they when they hear about the council, uh, a common response that we get uh, is that this is a, obviously a great transformative space. It's wonderful, but there's always a but in there. But it, you know, it's after school. Uh, you have a lot of freedom. You can do whatever you want. You don't have the constraints of uh, being in a classroom. Uh, the time constraints, the testing constraints, the the content area constraints. Uh, so I know we have we got teachers here, and all of us have tried to take YPAR into different spaces. What do you think are some of the pros and cons? of doing this kind of civic work in an, in an after-school, out-of-school space? And then what are the, the ways that you've tried to take this work into classroom spaces and, and kind of adapt it so that it can happen within all those constraints? It's not something we can just say, well, this is not for classroom time. And I know that you guys have experience doing that. Well, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start. Um, first of all, uh, being in a... In a, in a large district like LAU indeed Katie and I have had a lot of experience and being an elementary school teacher where already they are, they're like they're too young for some of this stuff um, it's always been like my you know before I even joined the council it's always been my my approach to education where you start with this kind of stuff and then you you tie in standards and and and, and doing this kind of work has always proved engaging and beneficial to you know for the students towards reaching some of these other things that you know these testing marks and whatever and so I just think that um, it does take a lot of work and, and effort but like how you freak it you know it I mean like and that's my thing that every time I talk around all over it's like you it, it's not something that you know has to be separate you just have to be able to navigate through the language of common core standards and and other things to be able to say, look, this is this is the same stuff, um, but I guarantee it's more more worthwhile for the students. And I, I, in terms of pros and cons of in school, I mean, as someone who taught this stuff like all year long in class, 
that and being able to affect uh, students in my class, and I know Katie can probably say the same thing. Like I also know that the the, the school day was not enough, right? Uh, it's never enough. And so whether it was like you know Council of Youth Research, that was an after school program, or even later on you know like the Watts Youth Collective, which is another organization that the students built, which was on a weekend and outside. Like there, it's never been enough. And I think that that piece is the more of it you can you can infuse. Um, in the lives of, of the young folks and, and just and, and the more you can make it part of your daily instead of like oh here's a project we're gonna do white part for a unit right, right. piece then then that's the more meaningful it gets right and so I've had like my students start at uh, fourth grade continue on participating in other spaces like watch you play and then continue on and be part of council of youth research where they've gotten multiple years this pipeline again a, another pipeline of creating these like urban intellectuals versus you know the other the alternative right and so I just think that um, this stuff is a process right and like if you know one summer like we've had summer seminar where it was like six weeks and intensive and then we, the reason we adopted an after-school piece was because the kids were like we go back all transformed and we go back to the realities of our of our urban you know schooling and they beat us back down and say like no know your role right and so we, we the kids the youth demanded that, that go on beyond just the summer, and they needed more. And so, like you know, and so we've had uh, years of of people coming in and out, and 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 still wanting more. And so I think, like, in terms of pros and cons, time and 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 being being able to do transformative work is a process, and and everything we do, and however much time we give it, um, is always part of that growing and learning process, right? And so, um, you know, whether it's a constraint of of standards or testing coming up or after school you you know you get kicked out of of your school because they're ready to to go i mean it, the bottom line is it like it, it needs to be in in you know in in every part of their lives and as much as possible and so um i mean that's my two cents on that i i think that i you saying that it needs to be a part of the, every part of their lives. I think that's also why it was so important for our school to look at it as um, the foundation of our school. And so, you know, one of the council groups discussed what what powerful curriculum looked like, and they came, they discovered this word andragogy. And so, ever since then, the concept of how adults learned, um, and it should be mirroring our pedagogy and how our young people learn, um, became really important. So our teacher reflection process becomes one of action research, so that um, the institution now is just practicing consistently action research, so that you have teachers doing it, you have students doing it, and it becomes part of the culture um, and it does look different I don't I haven't been able to replicate what we had in the council not in the classroom but what I've been able to do though is actually see young people hold an institution accountable and see adults respond to that accountability with growth with um, things like taking on restorative justice in the cognitive sense and the emotional sense so that um, when students are talking about what they're seeing in their classroom we have to sit back and learn to listen from the heart and um, I think that that 
not being able to replicate the council's vibe, I guess, at first maybe year one bothered me and hurt me, but then I realized, no, this gave birth to something new. And, learn, and I learned to go with this new process that does look different for every institution. But it's exciting to see this change and this change be driven by um, young people and they be at the center of that. So just so I want to add to that a little bit, um, especially pick on Katie a little bit. Um, so I think something that happens in this model in terms of uh, the way that it has been traditionally structured is that um, the, the role of the coordinator working with um, the directors, working with all of the teachers, create really special partnerships with the schools. And so they have those people who are centered in those spaces that are doing the work, right? So they get to do the recovery work when students are marginalized, when students are um, fed these deficit notions of who they are and what they can do, and, and it's counter to what they've experienced or learned or understood in, in these other experiences that we're providing them with. I think that's a really important dynamic. But I think another thing that has occurred over these years of doing this work is that each of us has carried with us this vision of what youth could and should do and the role they should have in changing education or um, you know social justice in education and so when Katie talked about you know what her school did year one so I ran uh, this civic education program and Katie and her team came with us to a conference in Chicago and this was a conference with hundreds of teachers and lots of different groups. But one thing that kept coming up is people kept saying, who is that group from RISE? They really get their students. Who is that group from RISE? They really connect so well. And I think that is not possible other than the fact that they have all come to this shared commitment about who students are and mm -hmm. what, we, what they deserve as, as students working with us. And I think that that is that evolutionary process that YPAR can go through. And I look at the work that Katie and Tony are doing at their school, and I look at the work that LT and Jeff are doing at his school, and then I look at the work that Nicole and Antonio are doing in higher education, and it's, it's undisputable to see how this ripple effect is really starting to challenge and change. When we say civic education, we're not talking about a book. We're not talking about a student regurgitating something that they've learned, and we're not even talking about this uh, dichotomy of Republican versus Democrat that we hear over and over again in the news. We're talking about something that is more authentic, something that is lived, and something that young people get excited about, and we get excited about, and it keeps us even engaged in this process that doesn't feed our souls, right? It, a lot of times, a lot of the policies and the structures in education, we all know this, isn't necessarily structured in a way that is the most effective for us in this process. But having this shared community and being able to tap in and connect with each other and hear and see the amazing work, it keeps us going. And I'm going to give Antonio the, the sad task of having to follow up the, Ebony's words there with a last comment kind of about where you think this is taking civic ed into the 21st century. Uh, what do you see as the future of YPAR? Um, so I just want to say thanks to Ebony for really breaking that down. I think that that was um, that was I think a clear way of trying to kind of sum up what this work um, has done and can do from a civic perspective. 
Um, and and so, I mean, where is where is it going? I think that's the thing is that um, we we have to keep we have to keep being creative and keep imagining where it can go. Um, I think that um, I think that it's it's important that we're thinking about the ways that uh, this is. This is a this is a tool. Every this this can be a vehicle for engagement, but it but that it ha we have to be clear about where how we're grounding this work, um, because when we're when we're clear about how we're grounding it, it allows us to really think about the structure of it and the the and the ways in which young people are being engaged. Um, I think that if 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 we sit up here and say why it's if YPAR is doing it. It's and if it's not done from a critical perspective, all we're all we're going to end up doing is reify kind of the same classroom models that are disengaging young people. And so, um, and so what what I'm what I'm currently working on too is going in. So I don't know. I'm calling it. I'm pushing myself into classrooms now. And so I'm teaching um, uh, an English period once a day, uh, once a week. And I'm, and so what I'm what I'm doing is before we can even get to the to the uh, white par work. Where I really have to model what different classrooms can look like for her, and, and so and that's that's the thing, right? Is that because because we've been engaged in this in this um, this model that looks different, I, I've been able to kind of get a clear sense of what that can look like, and not be afraid to make it look different. And I think that um, as we move forward, that's what we have to be thinking about how how it can be different, and then and then how I, I, what I'm constantly doing is reflecting on. How I'm limiting myself as well, um, so because I, I I know it needs to be different for young people, and so I so I guess that means then making sure young people are at the forefront of this conversation. Definitely, and I don't know how this happens. This always happens every time we get together, as the hour goes by too fast. Uh, so we're just beginning a conversation. Uh, again, if you want to keep this conversation going, if you're watching, uh, pick up this book. You're going to learn a lot more about how the council does its work. Um, and I want to thank everybody for being here. Uh, this is going to wrap up the second webinar of this March 2016 series on redesigning civic education for the digital age. Uh, but if you have questions, want to keep on talking, use the hashtag ConnectedLearning or 2NextPres. Uh, there's also going to be a full video recording of this webinar available immediately on www.connectedlearning.tv and other content there, including videos that we were talking about earlier. We've got a website of the Council of Youth Research videos and more information that you can find out about what we do. Uh, if you found this conversation helpful, please share it with your networks. And if you'd like to know more about upcoming webinars from Connected Learning TV, which is now produced by the National Writing Project's Educator Innovator, please visit www.educatorinnovator.org and sign up for the email newsletter. So we'll see you next Thursday. Come back next Thursday at the same time, same place, for a webinar with the Educating for Participatory Politics uh, program which is up in the Bay Area uh, and they're going to be discussing their experiences implementing curriculum on participatory politics in the classroom. So thanks again everybody and have a great night. Thank you. Bye.